Welcome to Take Notes. This is our little podcast. Happy 2022 to all of our listeners out there. Hope you had an enjoyable holiday season in whatever way you celebrate. Uh, Adam, did you have a good holiday season? Don't really want to know the answer. We're still doing introductions. Yeah, thanks, Ted. How about Uh, Ryan? Did you have a good holiday season? (laughs) It it was great. Thank you. That was a real question to Ryan. Uh, Expeditious, but of course, uh, number one fan of the show and occasional co-host. Well, this is the occasion. Happy to have Ryan here. Um, We are going to do what we always do, start off with uh, what do you got, which means uh, what did you write down in your notebook? Uh, Ryan, why don't you kick us off? What do you got? You suppose I'd be ready for that? It's only been 130 episodes. Yeah, I like to get us started off with uh, a what I like to call the winter beverage series. Ooh. <laughs> yes. A brand new, never, never, never before used segment, uh, and <laughs> I'm recommending the spicy chicken Marishan hard instant lunch. It's where you take a regular, a regular Marshawn spicy chicken instant lunch ramen, but you add a few shots of grain alcohol with the water, heat in the microwave, and in three minutes you have a hot lunch that's sure to spice up your afternoon. It's like regular Marshawn instant lunch, except worse and problematic. Smoke here. Cool. <laughs> oh. I don't know any of those words you said, but I like it. it sounds. Sounds like shocking to the system. New year, new lunch. You should That's try right. it with a fine a fine scotch next time. Like just, <laughs> just put a pour a shot of Pappy Van Winkle mixed into, into a, <laughs> mixed into a tomato bisque. Um, what do you got, Adam? Uh, I also have a ramen bait. Right, it's ramen, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, no, I don't. I wish I had a ramen-based. What do you got? That'd be fantastic. Uh, <laughs> I, I've written down uh, Velvet Cream, Hernandos, Mississippi, since 1962. Velvet Cream is a ice cream stand. So not nice they named it twice. It is also called the Dip. I haven't figured that out. And uh, waiting for. We didn't actually get ice cream there. We got, like, the kids' chicken sandwiches or something, or chicken strips. Uh, And waiting outside the Velvet Cream in Hernandos, Mississippi, I read on the the signs of the the challenges that they have, um, the food-eating challenges, Uh, the gallon challenge, one gallon of ice cream, $30, finish it in one sitting, and it's free. The winners... Randy Atlas Santel, August 2020. Magic Mitch Dombrowski, May 2021. And Brandon De Garbage Disposal Clark. June, June? I think June 2021. Then they had another challenge there. I guess I didn't write it down because my, uh, my chicken fingers showed up. But uh, that's from the Velvet Cream, a.k.a. The Dip in Hernandez, Mississippi. Wow. You're like, I don't... I don't have a ramen-based what do you got, but I do have an appalling eating accomplishment of a different kind. That's right. That's right. It is the season. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Ted, what do you got? Um, Well, we we did Christmas morning, and, you know, you never – you you do your best to 
keep the magic alive for the children and you never quite know how it's going to land but uh as my seven-year-old son was sitting on on the couch in the you know surrounded by toys and wrapping paper we were just checking in on how santa did and he said he knows my ways <laughs> so, that's it's about the the strongest uh strongest check mark you can get so i was i was happy with that nice what do you got ryan all right uh driving to work this morning a nissan rogue flew past me into the accumulating traffic swerved across three lanes of highway and blared his horn as he swerved in and out to pass cars, narrowly avoiding disaster in hopes of saving a few minutes on his way to wherever maniacs work on that side of town. He should be more careful, I thought, or those reindeer antlers are going to fly right off of his car. <laughs> really enjoy seeing someone with reindeer antlers sticking out of the window, just driving like a real a-hole. <laughs> Driving like a rogue, he's taking it. Uh, he's taking it literally. <laughs> That's just Santa trying to get somewhere, children. That's true. Yeah. What do you got, Adam? All right, you guys. You guys, have you guys seen the sign like at a grocery store, like in the aisle, or not in the aisle, like at the checkout? Like, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. You seen that before, ever? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw the uh, early 1940s version of that in a short film at the World War II Museum. There was a photo of there was a photo of a factory and a banner hanging above the factory workers that said, "The guy who relaxes is helping the Axis." Oh. <laughs> yep. Nice. Yep. Yep. Made me very very happy. So that's what I got out of the World War II Museum. <laughs> that's my one note. <laughs> Ted, what do you got? We uh, got some chips and guac at the grocery store. And when I cracked the lid on the guacamole, I said out loud, we started the guacamole clock. <laughs> I feel like that was the smartest thing I said that day. I still feel that way. Clock's ticking. Let's go. Let's get started. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so the holiday season is come and gone. We're in early January 2022 right now. Uh, quick check-in on uh, on any on any gifts, podcast-friendly gifts you may have received that, that might appeal to uh, a sort of people that would listen to a podcast like this or even host a podcast like this ryan what did you get well so first of all in my stocking because santa knows my ways uh, <laughs> i had a box of the blackwing labs the extra soft oh, nice. graphite um yeah which a been enjoying it's definitely a drawing pencil so i'm gonna have to get back to doing some drawing ryan did you do what i did this year which is to uh, populate my own stocking with desirables are you above that as i said it was from santa claus <laughs> 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 uh 
but this, elf. Um, from my wife, who definitely did not have me purchase this on her behalf, I got a, uh, a Drongles exclusive narwhal pen that's like a nice seaweed ebonite pen. It looks like an old boat, a little uh, nice. porthole windows in the side of it so you can see the ink, and uh, it's great. Love it. And one thing that was actually not a Christmas gift, but I got it during the Christmas season, was um, a Maker's Cabinet Feral, which is a nice, really nice brass pencil extender. And I got it for free because I took part in a product, um, you know, feedback session that was advertised on Facebook on, on the Erasable group. Uh, wow. Noah, Noah Beyer, who's one of the founders, I think, or I should have looked up his position exactly, but I think he's one of the main guys there, if not the main guy um, at Maker's Cabinet, got on there and said, hey, if you want to join this product uh, discussion, we show you a new product from Maker's Cabinet, and then get a gift for your time. And so I got a free feral and it is awesome very handsome Super and cool. incredibly well made it's great but that wasn't the product that you tested it was yeah so it like oh it was the product yeah they showed it and we told them you know they showed the prototype and we gave them feedback on you know size and weight and shape and what features it should have and this and that and it was about an hour-long discussion and then you could either get a gift card or wait and get the feral and that was like nine months ago and so that wow. finally showed up at my door, and that was a nice surprise. It was cool. The stork dropped off a little, a little feral <laughs> on your front porch after nine months. think that's how it works, yeah. Very good. Yeah. How about you guys? Well, I, let's see, my mom, she's, uh, she's the only one who really hangs in there and gets me any stationary stuff anymore. Uh, I think I've driven everybody else off with my persnicketiness, but uh, she got me a fun quill feather quill from a parisian a parisian uh stationery store i didn't actually ask her which one i have an idea of which one it might be and a little jar of uh of uh of ink and then i can't remember the name of it right now it's a well-known one it's got a french name and uh she got me a little, little pen uh holder clip goes on the side of a notebook that was fun and then uh, grab this was this was a little John Stockton uh, to Carl Malone assist <laughs> of, of the Ryan Sly variety, but uh, <laughs> I got a corduroy ball cap from Sports Stories. If you're a listener of the show, you know my my friend and our a guest on the show, Eric Nussbaum, uh, who wrote uh, Stealing Home, Sabers Book of the Year last year. By the way, I'm sure I mentioned that. Uh, sells some merch for his amazing newsletter called Sports Stories. So, I, so I got a, I got a cap. It's really like my favorite new thing. It's the letters are embroidered, but they are, were originally sketched by Adam Phillips and his illustrator. So they have this very cool style. And uh, my daughter got me a San Francisco Seals. Joe DiMaggio t-shirt from Ebbets Field Flannels. So I am all uh, decked out in nice uh, 
sportsy, classy, sportsy gear. That's awesome. Uh, what about both, you, Adam? Ted, both you and uh, my uh, my coworker sent me the Musgrave hat that it was available again uh, on the same day, the other day. The Musgrave hat from Ebbets Field with the pencil loop. So I uh, I don't know if I'm in the I don't know if I need another wool hat, but uh, I have been looking at that. Um, I, I've I got it's classic. I I got two things. I so I did the. Um, as you suggested, I, I gifted myself. So I, I get gifts for Hanukkah, but uh, Christmas time, we have a f- relatively new tradition that the Christmas Eve gifts are books. And maybe we've done this three years, maybe a little longer. This year, and maybe last year, uh, it was understandably forgotten that I also get a book on Christmas Eve because I'm always going to take every opportunity to get a book I can. Um, and so I, I wrapped up... I wrapped up the book that I bought myself when I also bought my wife her book for Christmas Eve. I wrapped up the uh, new Paris Review that's been redesigned and has a new editor and is just gorgeous to look at. So that was uh, that was my Christmas gift to myself. And my New Year's gift to myself is a giant Crispin Finn planner, which is a poster calendar, really, that is more than three feet tall and more than two feet wide it's a british design firm and i i tried while we were talking but i cannot figure out which u.s stationery company i ordered it from um or i'm blinking on the name but it comes in a giant brown paper envelope and then you open it up and it is it is very very big but it is to call it a planner it is questionable how useful this will be it is absolutely gorgeous (laughs) Um, <laughs> and I've got it up on the wall at work and my coworker is amused at how like, d- d- you know, b- between having the, um, like the British holidays, British bank holidays on it, like Queen's Jubilee. Um, and, um, and it's, it's sort of strange. Every month is a column. There's 12 columns and, um, there's like a red bar if it's a weekend it, it's not sure. I'm not. It's not clear how useful it is. I, I will have to try very hard to make it useful. Um, but but it's so beautiful. I want to try very hard to make it useful. I so those... can't wait to find a picture of it. But it's one. So it's got all twelve months on one big poster. Yes. Yeah. And there's they, they offer a portrait and a landscape. Uh, you can you can probably find it on Crispin Finn's Instagram, which is C R I S P I N. F-I-N-N. You can find it. And the first the first few you'll see are the um the landscape version, which I don't know. Perhaps perhaps more useful. Um I've got the portrait version. Um which again it's gonna it's gonna take a little work to really figure out. You know, I think a lot of great stationary products, you don't always know exactly how you're gonna use them when you start to use them. Or you don't necessarily know the best way to use them. But um, can you reach it from a seated position, or is this a stand up and walk over and write something on it? No, this is a stand up. It's it's on a wall, and it is. I mean, I could, I can. Um, we've got little rolly chairs, so you know, like we're we're big you can time. Roll over. We, yeah, yeah, I could roll over with my okay. rolly chair, and um, but I couldn't reach the beginning of any month, right? So, I could reach the end of any month because that's kind of, you know, at, at like uh, table height. But to get to the beginning of a month, I'm going to have to stand. 
Just make up, write yourself some narrative where you you only really get rolling in the second half of a month anyway. Yeah, there we go. Uh, yep. So that's that's when things really heat up. That's I'll definitely that's, uh, I'll write those late month activities on the calendar first, <laughs> and I'll save the early month activities for you know when I want to stretch. But th- those were I my do, you know, yeah. It's really, it's awesome. really going to yeah. look nice when you've got uh, the first third of it filled out at the end of the year. <laughs> That's right. Up oh, yeah. On your office wall. Uh-huh. Yep, you're exactly <laughs> right. It's, that is a uh, hilarious and valid point. <laughs> <laughs> the planner that really lets you know the exact day that you, you failed. You failing Yep, we got to put it on display for the entire office to see. When I bought it, I thought it was a calendar. And it definitely says um, planner on it. So, yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Well, the three of us, and hopefully uh, our listeners at home, read a book recently by Vladimir Nabokov called Pale Fire. Yeah. And... Uh, and we're going to talk about that book. Yeah, a masterpiece. We can all agree. So, yeah, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of tee it off because it was my suggestion that we uh, that we read it. This is my, my third time reading Pale Fire. I read it in 2004 and in 2012. And I, I remember the first time I finished reading it, I immediately thought that I wanted to read it again because it is a, it's perplexing, but I, I think it's also a... Uh, uh, wonderful and like uh anyways it's uh i'm going to try to describe what the book is and the book is like it starts as one thing and the more you read it the more you realize that it's it's uh, more than it's one thing so in the book the book is about a 999 line poem written by john shade um and it's about a poem about his daughter's death and about the act of writing and about a few other things and it is preceded and it is followed by a foreword and by notes on the poem. Um, and those are written by Charles Kinbot. So Charles Kinbot receives the manuscript of the poem and, uh, and drafts of the manuscript. And he writes notes on the poem, which make up really the bulk of the novel. All of this, the novel is written by Vladimir Nabokov. I don't remember if we said that when we were teeing it off. Um, but John Shade is a fictional poet and, uh, Charles Kinbot is the fictional, um, friend of John Shade who gets the poem upon his death. And then the more you read into it, you realize that, um, Kinbot is, uh, sort of, uh, reading into the poem things that are not there, allusions to his native country of Zembla. And then um, the more you read into it some more, you realize that Kinbot had completely alienated the poet, probably, and his wife before his death. And um, and that Charles Kinbot was uh, a madman. And uh, yeah, so it's and, and then uh, frankly, the, the, the more you read into it, you can also decide the uh, like the, the more that that you start to like read into the clues of the book or the ridiculous things that he's saying, it's fine that it's all kind of hard to believe. So 
Uh, is he, I think he is a madman, and but is he friends with Shade? Did he have any sort of relationship with Shade? Is that all invented? It seems kind of hard to believe. So yeah. there, there's plenty of layers of the onion to peel back. Yeah, so for, first to mention, we're, we're going to talk about it as if everybody's read it. So um, you might, if you haven't read it yet, I think it's worth pausing and going back and reading it because as Adam alluded to, things unfold and, and part of the unfolding is the, the uh, amazingness of the book. Um, but I, you know, I think you can't, you can't even engage with this book without acknowledging this insane structure, which, uh, which like, I, I don't think I've ever read a book in which you can, there are different ways to read it. And you, there are different methods to read the novel, which is ins- the, the more you talk about it, the more it's insane it feels. But I really grappled early on with how to even read it. I mean, you, it's a, it's a poem, and then it's the notes on the poem, and that you know that the first question you have to ask yourself is, do I read, do I read this poem? Do I read the notes to the, you know, the, the commentary are like by line, like line 42, you know, yada, yada. So do you flip back and forth? Do you read the poem first? I mean, this was the first, this is my, the first inkling that you're going to have to grapple with this piece of work, that it's going to, it's going to push you to the limits of what your, how your brain thinks it should engage with what, what you call a novel. Um, how did you, how did you read it? Well, so I started out by, you know, you read the foreword and then you get to the poem. I started out by flipping, you know, reading a few lines of the poem and then flipping to the back, which is problematic in the sense that they're not footnotes. So you don't even know when they're going to, when there's going to be a note. But I also quickly realized that I was not even, so not only do you do you leave the poem to read the notes, the commentary, the commentary is, goes off on its own, lives a life of its own. So you, the commentary barely, you know, even right out of the gates even refers to the poem. So you completely forget what the poem is even about as you're flipping to this note in the back. And I, I think I got, you know, a quarter of the way through and said this is not working i'm reading this book the wrong way i think i texted you guys to be like how should i be doing this this is insane <laughs> yeah you did and I, I i guess i gave you the advice that i i felt like maybe you know it it feels presumptuous to tell someone how to read a book but i did feel like maybe i could have i could have given everyone this advice before we started which is to read I it think, from page one said, to the end how do I read this book? Yeah, like, yes. So it was fair, fair of you to answer that Right, question. right. What about you, Ryan? How did but, you um, read the book? Well, so I, in reading the foreword, you know, he actually get, tells you what you're supposed to do, which his advice is read the notes, then read the poem, and then read the notes again. And you're you're more observant and careful a reader than I am, clearly. I didn't actually do it exactly that way, but what I did do is skip the poem entirely, just read the notes, 
and then read the poem and then a little bit since then and i haven't really fully gone through this because as i was doing it i kind of experienced what you did ted which was like flipping back and forth and everything it's just it just reinforces what you already know which is the notes are just bananas in <laughs> reference to the poem there's yeah so so it's like pointless in a way but I would I, I, like 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 Adam said I I basically immediately was like I'm gonna have to read this thing again I don't like trying to connect everything it w was a lot to sort of grapple with but yeah it is effective in the sense that I would be willing to do such a thing for such a crazy you know well, uh, <laughs> and I think actually like that that um that kind of brings us to one of the things that I find like one of the sources of humor I find in the book. And, and I completely understand while we're talking about it now that it may be only apparent because I've read it before, uh, at least the first time going through, which to me, it's hilarious that this, um, this guy who thinks he's associated with this great poet in the foreword of the book is telling you just skip this poem which is what the entire book claims to be about, and read my notes to yeah. it. But the first time you're yeah. reading it, you don't know it's a, a, a madman who is you're telling working. you, a megalomaniacal yeah, guy. Think, yeah, yeah. yeah. The first time you read this, you, you are just working so hard to... You know, it's like you think of a, a, a typical novel, you know, the, the great novelists make it feel effortless for you to enter into it and to understand where you are in time and space and how you should be reading it and what the, you know, maybe postmodernists aside, but, uh, this book is like, you will, you will not be able to rest easy knowing what you're experiencing, who's talking, who's right, who's wrong, who's insane, who's, who, who is what, who's telling the truth. Like at no point can you rest. Now that said, it is a, an extremely funny book. Like it's up there with mm -hmm. some of the great sort of satirical, you know, even kind of like send ups of academia. Like I, I was really reminded of uh, Lucky Jim by uh, uh, Kingsley Amos, which is yeah. a king. That book is like. Did you read that, Ryan? Yeah. Was that? I think I was on my, my recommendation, maybe. Uh huh. Yeah, but it you know the 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 parts of this book that that are sort of uh, comic are are up there with like the great comic novels. So I I laughed my way through this thing, and I say that sincerely. Um, one of the which just almost just adds to the cognitive dissonance <laughs> of the whole thing. One of one of the really funny things that I, amused me this time that I wrote down, and I guess I didn't write it down as a quote, but uh, Kinbot he writes, "What I would not have given then for for Shade to have had a heart attack so that he could save him with his herb or herbal herbal remedies." And I just I love the idea <laughs> that like what I would not have given for to them to have had a heart attack. I mean, there's just these like lines like like that that are he's just so you know misguided. Oh, when he says uh, there's some scene where he's talking to Gerald Emerald, one of his nemeses, kind of like a 
an, an annoying academic, and he says, I contented myself on my way out with pulling Gerald Emerald's bow tie loose with a deft jerk of my fingers as I passed by him. <laughs> like, amazing. Line after, I mean, I did a little, I finally, I just started underlining stuff and writing ha at these great jokes. Like, there, there was a joke, I think early on, and I was sort of glad he didn't carry this on through the whole thing, but I think it's in the foreword... Um, where he writes like an actual joke. Where, so it's like he's discussing the process. Um, talking about the galleys that he received. And he you know, has asked me to mention in my preface, and this I willingly do, that I alone am responsible for any mistakes in my commentary. Insert before a professional. <laughs> a professional proofreader has carefully rechecked the printed text. Like, that was like just a full-on hilarious joke. And so the, I mean, the forward does tell you that something preposterous is going on here, which is part of the brilliant nature of the the writing. I mean, like, I I just I felt Nabokov, comp- like orchestrating this thing the whole way through, like almost like he's the conductor in front of this like thing, saying like, here, here, put your attention here. Now, oh, now I'll pull it over here. Now I'm gonna. I'm going to write an actual pretty amazing poem like in the middle of this whole thing that could stand on its own I think I don't know maybe I think I'm missing so. something I I mean I, it's I was going to bring that up that I, I mean I I think that poem is just amazing maybe I don't know if I can say that the all nine you know that the whole thing from beginning to end is amazing but uh but I do really love it especially early on like as much as you can, yeah. like, read in one sitting, sort of, I really enjoy it. It's got a, like, a, a, a great rhythm to it, and, like, it just drives you forward. So he's a, he wrote this absolutely genre-bending novel full of amazing storytelling, much of which occurs in a fictional land far across the sea. Uh, oh, and P.S., he wrote a thousand-line uh what iambic pentameter you know four canto poem in the middle of it and then throws in a a murder mystery (laughs) like to boot like dear god (laughs) the whole time sort of unraveling the fact that he's supposedly this guy's friend but then you know as you're going through it and he's go, he's telling his notes it's more and more like they're not friends at all the guy can't stand them his wife hates him he's like stalking the guy no. you know complaining about never being invited over there and him <laughs> not using any of his his input not talking about you know uh, zembla at all and it's just like he's a, a, it's, a pretty predatory professor of like yeah like and the possible whole, criminal harasser sort of person right like he's high, creeping around in the bushes and you know claiming to be this genius that's helping this guy create this perfect poem and the poem has nothing to do with what he's talking about at all I get, I'm the just, whole time, and I, I hadn't read the poem, so I'm wondering, you know, as I'm reading through all of it, you know, at least for a little while, like, what's happening on the poem's end of it, but I did wait till the end, and then by the time you get to that, it's like, okay, clearly this guy's crazy, and then the poem has nothing to do with it whatsoever, <laughs> and it's just... I, 
I, it was I, satisfying I, to get that part of the joke like really slam dunked home at the end of it, just being like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, I mean, I it, my, my I would I would uh, read the commentary and I would so eventually I just read the commentary, but I would jump to the poem because I was just a little too curious. And honestly, I think the one the one I remember, which maybe I'm not even remembering it correctly, but uh, Shade mentions the word mountain. And 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 Kinbot in his commentary says like, ah yes, the mountains of Zembla, like that is where the the king. And I was like, he literally just took the word mountain and just jumped off from there and leapt into his own narrative. Um, I'm just flipping through, and early in the commentary, I underlined a line and said, windows, as well known, have been the solace of first person literature throughout the ages. I mean, that's this is who we're dealing with is someone who would write that line. <laughs> well, th- that kind of, you know, that reminds me that there are these kind of, there are some sort of mysteries in the book or unexplained sort of things. And, you know, there is one line in the poem that does use the word Zembla. But there's right. also, and then there are also these early drafts that, that Kinbot has in the notes. And if you take it all at face value then there's the possibility that uh that right that he is writing something about Zembla or something has worn off on shade perhaps uh, i think there's like there's also reasons right right in the book to believe that I, I think on one of the drafts uh kinbot says something or suggests that he may have invented a line or something like that um, that was fairly late in the commentary i think yeah. though so you're already sort of in the web of madness right questioning everything there there's a question to be asked about whether uh kinbot has worn off on shade at all and then i happen to know there's a book that i haven't read by nabokov's biographer brian boyd that is all about pale fire which suggests all of these crazy theories that like um it is the, the poem was written by kinbot and shade's ghost working together um which i mean i i haven't read the book but i i i resist the theory but there are these kind of i mean there there's this kind of blurring of at all times you don't really know exactly what's going on you can't be certain that he is entirely i i mean i think he's a madman but you can't be certain that it's entirely lies uh you know it's almost like you're kind of trapped in a conversation with someone who's a little unhinged and you start to feel like it's hurtling in some strange direction and then once you start to feel that in this book uh the next sensation is like okay how far is this gonna go <laughs> like how far how far into the abyss uh will this take me will it go into full-on you know is is this all just a dream or or does it, will it go into some place of, you know, a reckoning or, a, you know, a breakdown or, or something? So it's like, you're just in this, you're just in this rail car flying downhill with no brakes at a certain point. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it was, I think what he did it in such a, like, there was this moment later in the commentary where he narrator kinbot shifted 
from referring to the king in third person to first person. <laughs> and I was just like, wait, did that just happen? Like, did, did he just fully give up the, the whole conceit? Yeah. And, I, and I, I knew I was supposed to... It's like I knew he wanted the reader to know... But he also didn't just say, "I the king was me." He's, it just like was this switch. It felt like crazy. Like I, I mean, like, they do have the same name, right? Yep, Doctor Doctor Charles Kinbot and King Charles the Beloved. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know. I mean, and that's the whole. You're sort of. I felt like you you were you were slowly coming to that realization, yeah. and then this switch occurred. Where it wasn't yeah. like a reveal, it was more just like a slip. The slip <laughs> was the reveal, which is my—I think it's my way of saying Nabokov is a is a mad scientist who's <laughs> who's so patient with like ev- this whole book just has this patience to it, this like almost you know like masochistic like ability to just wrench every ounce of slowness to it even down to like the step-by-step account of the you know the assassin kind of like shaving and you know sitting on the edge (laughs) of his hotel bed and just the pacing is just wild from a to z the whole thing was such a uh such a, a strange experience of time, and you know, I just I just think about like the these cards that the poem is written on, and his description of like the what was written on the top line and the date, and the there's so many lines per card and total cards, and these cards were written on this. It's like just a, my brain felt like it was a deck of cards being shuffled and reshuffled and trying to make some sense out of total chaos <laughs> Adam in your uh, archive of New York Times did you read the review uh, from 1962 I don't know I mean not recently yeah, I know I, I, I know that just generally like when it came out some people absolutely hated it and I guess I'm gonna like I think maybe the New York Times hated it and that some loved it. So this particular review uh, from a guy called George Klein, um, which was not exactly a glowing review at all, um, you know, describes it as an elaborate spoof. And he said he thought the poem was good, but not great. But I brought it up because I liked how he summarized at the end of the article that all of this amounts to a good deal of fun for Mr. Nabokov. <laughs> <laughs> well played, Mr. Nabokov. Well played. So I, I think, uh, I mean, I agree with that, but I did have this experience a couple months ago that actually really changed what I understood about the book. I read this book called The Secret History of Vladimir Nabokov, which is part biography, but it's really about all of the um, parts of Nabokov's history that he hid in his books. So Nabokov, um, throughout his career, was given a hard time by 
to some degree, but by Russian writers for not writing about Russian history. And I get to this chapter on Pale Fire, which at that, uh, you know, I've, I've read a couple of times at this point. And the author, Andrea Pitzer, makes, I mean, makes an excellent case from what's actually in the book um, that, that Kinbot is not some, is not a king from the land of uh, Zembla. There isn't a fictional Zembla. He's, he is a concentration camp survivor from the Soviet concentration camp that actually existed called Nova Zembla. And Nova Zembla is referred to once in the book. And there are allusions to these um, refugees from Nova Zembla. And, and kind of the, one of the really interesting points that she makes is that Nova Zembla was in, on the cover of, I want to say the New York Times, but on the cover of newspapers t- 10, 15 years before the book was published, but that it was 50 years after Palefire was published before anyone really made the connection, even though it's spelled out in the book that he's from Nova Zembla, which mm. is a real camp and a real place, and that this character is this, the Kinbot who I've been calling a bad man, is this refugee from, uh, you know, a concentration camp survivor. Huh. Yeah. I don't know where we go with that. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, it, it, I, I think it, the, you know, the way it's written and the way it ends you know, essentially leaves itself open to, uh, you know, it's the men in black phenomenon where it's all just taking place in the, or it all could be taking place in the, on the collar of a, of a very large hairless cat. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Like it's open to any, uh, any interpretation that you would want that, that involves delusion. You know, so I, I mean, I think that's very interesting. But you know, what what good does it do the reader that Nabokov would have a very fascinating and interesting um, conceit in mind that he then you know completely uh, uh, keeps out of reach of the reader? Right. Well, I imagine that he. He thought he had enough in there, right? At one point in the book, he refers to it as Nova Zembla. Nova Zembla was something that had been in the news at one point, like in the last 10 or yeah. 15 years, right? He thought there was enough there, but that no one no one was going to read it thoroughly enough, quickly enough to get there, which is interesting. He, he probably thought that the answers were there, or at least more of the answers were there um, th- than were. But, I mean, it would seem as if he never to- told anybody that. Uh, yeah, actually, I mean, there's some stuff here that in more interviews your, he does... More of your little games, Nabokov. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, yeah. I, went, I, I went through emails. Uh, I went through Gmail this, this afternoon and uh, looking for any notes that I had written or anything that I'd written about this in the last couple times that I read it. And uh, that's not really what I found, but I did find, I found me kind of nudging you, Ted. And it really amused me. Well, first, the first note is from you in 2007 saying that you just started reading it. I was going to say 
I was going to say 2007. That was going to be my guess. I think yeah. I was in Indiana. Yeah, I think you were too um, at your reunion. But then, but then, then there's the funny ones, which is in 2010. I just wrote, sent an email that said, "Have you read Palfire? You must." And uh, uh, then, uh, then I, I sent you a link, the, the <laughs> Pale Fire as hypertext poster, and your reply, reply was, "I'm not going to read this." <laughs> but but you sent me this quote uh, from an interview you read. Uh, quote: "I'm back into Vladimir Nabokov for the eleventh time." I just read Palfire again and then became completely obsessed with it again because I've been obsessed with it before. It's still probably the single most amazing book I've ever read. And that was uh, Michael Chabon. And I was uh, I, I knew that you had had a hard time with the book, so I was feeling a little defensive. So I was delighted to find that uh, you had sent me that quote from Chabon about the book. That's and I was also funny. delighted to find that I had turned into a little kinbot to you, uh, so, you know, <laughs> sneaking up on your uh, email window and... Uh, you, you'd probably say something about baseball, and I'd be like, ah, you're actually talking about Pale Fire. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, I, I, to write this book is, is remarkable. I mean, I, I, I've groused about the reading of it, which is, for me, I, you know, and I don't, I don't have a ton of focus. So in a way, it was like a kind of a FU of a book, the structure of it, to say like, you're going to have to flip back and forth or at least feel like you're flipping back and forth. And then there'll be two narratives and you won't know, you know, like, like the, the reader is challenged, but to the accomplishment is, is huge. And the other thing that's really worth noting is that the storytelling in the poem, but also in the commentary, I mean, the tales of the King and Zembla and the detail and the humor and the, I mean, it's absolutely unbelievably good like he could have really very very easily written only the story of the king's escape as an entire novel absolutely engaging and fascinating and funny and weird and all of these things standing on its own that was my opinion um so for him to write a poem create this crazy character but then also fold in just absolutely airtight storytelling. I mean, that's when, you know, like Chabon, I feel like that's that's part of his acknowledgement, saying, I was also totally engaged by the story going on here. You know, and someone like, like Delillo, you know, he will, he'll mess with you and all this stuff will happen, but it's, in reading Delillo, it's more rare where I've been like, oh my God, that was just an amazing, like, narrative adventure that we just went on uh but with nabokov he he just pulls he pulls that off in the midst of everything else going on within the book yeah i think jonathan franzen's thing was in the the you can't name a single character from a delillo book and that's kind of what inspired him to write uh um the corrections was trying to write a DeLillo book that you actually like engaged with the characters. The other thing that really slows me down, and, and I get slowed down while reading this book too, and then I think I forget it and then read it again eight years later, is all of the words that I do not know, which is a, a joy. <laughs> um, and I've got, I mean, I've got two dozen 
I think, uh, definitions that I've actually written down in my notebook, and I've got screenshots of tons of them too. Um, <laughs> but stopping to look the words up, and I think, you yep. know, especially my third time reading it, I feel like, well, man, I mean, I've, if this isn't the time I'm going to try to remember what this word is, I don't know what is. <laughs> my bookmark in the book are uh, words to look up from the either the time before or both the times before that I've read it. Um, but the, yeah, I have. I'm looking at my index card. Uh, I defined five of them and then just gave up. I kept writing them down, which I'm proud of. But uh, I didn't look up crepuscules or fustian or nictitation or affray. Didn't look up uh, nebulation or empasted or recudescence. Didn't look any of those up. Didn't look up glycines <laughs> or Recrudescence or... is the recurrence of an undesirable condition. Okay. I, I, well, that's one that I had to write down the definition of, so I'm just reading the yeah. definition out of my notebook. Yeah, I didn't look up facultans or, uh, <laughs> or geotic or crescent. I did look up puti putibundity, which means bashfulness. A, uh, a paladin, and that was a little more familiar word. That's a trusted general. Uh, inter intercalated. I didn't look that one up. Uh, a Brocken didn't look that one up either. <laughs> Trochet, not a chance. Uh, let's see Botkin didn't look that up. Woodwos, nope. Hoyden didn't didn't <laughs> check the definition of that. Ingle, nope. Um, Lang. Lens Quinet is a German card game. That's that's what I've got. Nice. <laughs> but that no, you you raise a good point that it that putting those words in just is another another speed bump. Yeah. For the I, uh, for the for the poor 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 reader of this book. I I think the poor um... delighted <laughs> the poor delighted engaged uh, cursed reader. Well, I think, and that that is something that is true of all of Nabokov's at least English work uh, when when he when he started writing in English, um, because he knew these words that weren't. I don't know. It's like he learned English from reading a dictionary or something, reading an old dictionary. But what's interesting is that it always like both. I think it gives and it takes away because there are these times when he uses this perfect word, and it when you look it up, it adds. Uh, yeah. It adds something really significant and sometimes like emotional to the book, but at the same time, it slows you down and takes it away. But the for me in this one, uh, the word preterist I had to look up, which I didn't know what that was. And it, but it's one who believes the prophecies about the end times have already been fulfilled. And so that word <laughs> is in the uh, is in the poem when after his daughter commits suicide. Um, and so that's you're amazing. like, oh, that's clever use, but it's like a heartbreaking use as well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I uh, I finally stopped writing them on my index card, I realized, and just started underlining words. But that's actually, what I did. Yeah. I, I, one that struck me uh, was micturated, which, um, which I, I believe is, is uh, urinated, I, I think. But what struck me about that was that if you will recall the line from The Big Lebowski when, <laughs> when The Big Lebowski says to Jeffrey Lebowski, 
Am I the one who micturated upon your rug, sir? <laughs> and I, I vaguely remember that we couldn't even, me and Seth, my college buddy, uh, for whom the Big Lebowski was a, a tent pole, we couldn't even find that word in the dictionary. So we could never really <laughs> confirm it. But then there it is in the Nabokov. That was a very satisfying find. Favorite scenes, favorite moments from the book for y'all? I quite enjoyed uh, when when uh, Shade invited uh, Kinboat in to talk to him while he was in the bathtub shaving. It's <laughs> one of my favorite moments. His wife says, he's in the bath. You'll have to come back later. Let him in. He's not going to rape me. <laughs> Amazing. I, one of the things that I like that I remember is there's a, uh, right in, in the notes, Anytime Kinbot says like there's there's no way there's <laughs> I've looked it up and there's no explanation or something like that. That's when there's a clear explanation. And um there's there's one reference to Shakespeare and that he can't make any sense of and he he makes the excuse that all he has is like the Zemblin translation of <laughs> Oh, I forget which I forget what I'm forgetting which play it is. It's one of the really late plays. But that is the play that Palefire, the title Palefire, is taken from. Palefire, yeah. You know, like he's. It's just there's this clownishness to it. That's and you and you yeah. get to realize that. Um, um, I don't know that, that you get to realize it's a clown. So you like see those moments coming when he says like, "Oh, there's no possible ex you know explanation." You understand that it's like very clear that he's just a buffoon. Uh, the the moment. I'm going to try and find it specific. It's very, very early. Maybe even the first page. Uh, he says, he's, he's talking, again, he's talking about the, the method. It, uh, a methodical man, Shade usually copied out his daily quota of completed lines at midnight, but even if he recopied them again later, as I suspect he sometimes did, etc., etc., but with that of his corrected draft or first fair copy, I mean, he preserved the date of actual creation rather than that of second or third thoughts. There is a very loud amusement park right in front of my present lodgings. <laughs> like, that That said everything... I mean, you know, I say that it's a difficult book, but in a way, that first page says, here's everything you need to know about what you're about to experience. Uh, a, a masterful, masterful moment. Actually, had some notes on one you mentioned already, Adam, where he says one the line in the poem is one foot upon a mountain, and which spawns like I don't know eight pages <laughs> or nine, ten pages of notes, and then at the end of this just long meandering story, he says, "I trust the reader has enjoyed this note." <laughs> <laughs> it was just after this completely personal story that uh, you know was had nothing to do with the the line at all. Just the word mountain clued him into story. Oh, that reminds me of this one time, and just goes on and on and on and on. And it's like, well, that was pretty awesome. Well, and well, that that whole that mountain thing that, and he goes on that whole line, but he also it's this huge tangent upon this moment that I think is really in the poem that's 
um, yes. beautiful or poetic, which is that he's yes. trying to find a link, and I, I'm blanking. I think it's a link to um, to his daughter in in some way, but it turns out that yeah. the um, that the person who saw something about a mountain uh, that it was actually a fountain that they saw, and there was just a misprint or something. Um, so that there's this section <laughs> of that poem was brilliant and shattering and amazing yeah and i think part of what like part of that mountain line is that maybe the most moving and and masterful section of the poem just does nothing for for kinbot right. and he just blasts right, right. through it right that that mix of what was in the poem versus what the commentator is doing and the just what it says about him i mean that is a that's a fabergé egg to have those parts interlock like that yeah i mean i guess what i i guess maybe that kind of encapsulates what i really like about the book uh or or what you know it's like the there's comedy and there's this sadness and there's this puzzle and all of it and somehow right like if it was a really sad 999 line poem i might not be able to enjoy just the beautiful rhyme of it like i would maybe never want to look at it again but with the there's always kind of a reason to go back to it and there is that ridiculous comedy that is like softening the blow and and then at the same point maybe this like right there's this other darkness to it that no one knew was in the book for 50 years or something it's doing so many things at the same time it's it's i mean and much of it feels kind of a satirical but it's sending up the creative process it's sending up academia it's sending up sort of like celebrity culture you know kind of being famous you know and then just being kind of an old grouch like you know it's doing and that's just 30 percent of what it's doing it's doing so many different things. You know, there's the, the uh, kind of, he's a, he's a gay main character, a gay narrator. Do you, you know, there's that whole level of things constantly working. And yet, uh, I never want to read it again. And I was, I was, I had a sense of relief when I reached the final note in the index, like, oh, get me out of here. Ryan, uh, do, do you ever want to read it again? I feel like I have to. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, too much that I'm certain that I've missed about it. That it's like the first time through is definitely not enough for me. Right. Well, do you, so do y'all feel compelled to analyze the, the ending of the commentary, which sort of feels like, it feels like the narrative conclusion, even though theoretically it, uh, it was the notes of an epic poem, or of a of a poem. It ends with him saying that he expects to be assassinated, and there is, I don't know. I think when I read the the gardener talking about who was there, there is some confusion. But he jumps in front of the bullet. But it's his the the shade's wife is momentarily happy that. Um, Kinbot even tried to um, is it 
Do I keep calling him Kinbot and it's Kinboat? Either one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you, it's Kinbot in the original Zemblin, but the, yeah, that's uh, right. I, in my head, I always read it as Kinboat, Kinbote, and so I told myself I was going to try to not say Kinbote during this because I'm just <laughs> sure that's wrong. But um, but and, and so the way that he gets the poem is because uh, supposedly uh, Shade's wife is so happy that he tried to save Shade's life, which doesn't really match up with anything that's been said about Shade's wife up until that point. So, I mean, I right. think, I, I think at the end, I feel like the, the, the lies are unclear to me. And, right. um, the, the Jack Gray and the gratis all becomes like sort of confusing to me. And that's the name of the, um, the assassin. But the idea is that there will be another assassin coming for him because he's this, um, because he's this exiled king. Um, well, I, I, I mean, I think that's what I mean, is do we even believe that Gratis was real? Did you say no? And I... I didn't say anything. Quiet. I thought no. Oh. And you heard my... You heard me thinking <laughs> it. I mean, I, I want to say no, he's not real. But it has been a few weeks since I've read this. And I'm just yeah. trying to remember whether there is a body of Gratis or Gratis or whoever at the end. If there's, yeah, I'm just kind of blanking on that part I mean, of it. To me, it all comes down to the fact that the only account we have is Kinboats. And when you, when you introduce the possibility that a narrator is, is detached from reality, this kind of goes back to that, you know, is is he a, a refugee? Well, a refugee is not a king. A ref, you know, and a refugee, you know, what what is real about the the story? And that's, you know, that that's that's what Nabokov does by the end. He says you can't really hang your hat on any part of this story. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, that's that's uh, that's a that's a move. That's a move. At least, um, at least Nabokov had fun. No, let's read it again and talk about it next week. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, Maybe not next week, but you can find us on the internet at takenote.space. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com/takenotepod. Ryan, as always, it's been a pleasure having you along. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Ryan. And take care.